you believe this much, if you take this much care to build up a character and make people believe that you are this entity, then they'll believe it too and they'll play along with you. And that level of make-believe as an actor is tremendously fun. Welcome to another episode of the Interesting People Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Christopher Heady, puppet master, writer, artist, man with an IMDb page with stuff on it. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing very well, Patrick. Thank you. Yeah. You recently taught some classes over at New Spire Arts, which I is did. how I found you. How did you get into puppetry? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a loaded question. I, <laughs> I got into puppetry in high school strongly because I can trace it back to early childhood roots. In elementary and middle school, I was known always as the guy who did the funny voices. And I would always be impersonating or making some kind of character voice. And then that, I remember there was like this opportunity where there was like, Oh, he was a ventriloquist. So he had all of these uh, ventriloquist puppets and he had come to visit the school. And there was this opportunity at the end where it was extended out to the kids. Like, is there anybody who wants to stick their hand inside of a puppet? And the people around me were like, Chris, you should do it. You do the funny Yoda voice. So I got up there, I put my hand inside and I was like, this is kind of cool. And it, it didn't really fall into place until high school when my local church, New Hope Lutheran Church, started their own puppetry division. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I mean, I had seen Jim Henson and the Muppets and I was like, this would be a fun skill to learn. And once I started doing that, it was like a bug. I just picked it up and I was just like, the possibilities are limitless (laughs) with this. Like once you animate a puppet, which is a skill that anybody can do, but it takes years of practice to get really good and specific about it, which I think is really fantastic. Like anybody can draw, but it takes time for those squiggle lines to eventually become a face. So once I had developed the skill, it's ironic because <laughs> full meta circle, Julian Lazarus, who is working at New Spire Arts now as an education director, was my drama teacher at the time. Once he found out that that was something that I was doing in my spare time, he essentially made sure that there was puppetry in our performances. So we were doing You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and I was cast as a puppet Woodstock. And then I was operating large cardboard pieces of meat during supper time for Snoopy's daydreaming all of these possible food options for him. So, like, I came out (laughs) ring race style with a uh, giant black mask over my face and was, like, dancing around on stage. It was great. It just snowballed from there. So your church started a puppetry division? Yes. I don't want to jump over that. That's quite Yeah, so there is a organization called One Way Street, which has become, over time, a different organization organization, but essentially they specialize in Christian-based puppetry. So they'll provide you your puppets, all the things that you need to be able to start it up. And it's big. This is how a lot of people get their start into puppetry is through religious affiliation. And from there, then it evolves into something else. Hands for New Hope was getting to the point where we were expanding beyond our I was being an advocate for them and was really like pushing it, being like, we could make our own audio. We could be making our own skits because the songs that we were using were a part of One Way Street. They were songs that were like parodies of existing pop, like Power of Love by Huey Lewis and Mm -hmm. the News became Power of God 
but after a while, you've done everything in their canon, and then it's like, okay, what else? What else can we do? Our stage got bigger. The funding came in more because everybody was like, this is quality. We were getting more puppeteer applicants. We were being housed out to other churches in the area. It was like really neat to be able to do what it was effectively like a gig for religious affiliation. So to be able to like represent your church and to be able to do so, but still in a performing base. And puppetry is great also because you get to have a real diversity that you may not get to do as an actor. You get to be an old man or you get to be a little girl or you get to be the guy with the crazy hair or maybe you're a chicken. You get to like (laughs) you get to be asked to be so many different things as a puppeteer. And then you got to really existentially start to think about how would this character move? How would this character reflect these moments? And also exposes you to two-handed puppets, which is like the Swedish chef or Ernie from Sesame Street, where effectively it's not just one puppeteer, it's two people and they're working together simultaneously where one person is the hands in front and then another person is the mouth. And so they have to work together in very close proximity to each other to be able to create the illusion of one entity. So it was really just kind of like your ABCs to puppetry. And I'm just incredibly grateful that I ever had that experience because that snowballed every other opportunity that I've had in my life. What's it like to learn a new puppet? Do you have a checklist you go through? Absolutely. So when I'm presented with a new puppet, I'm immediately thinking about how does the puppet move? What is the personality of the puppet based upon the movements that I can get out of it? And then based upon that, then comes out the voice. What does this puppet sound like? If it's a chicken, is it speaking in your classical buck-buck structure? Or is it, (laughs) you know, what is the sex of the puppet? Is it male? Is it female? Is it androgynous? And you're also looking at the script. You're looking at what does this puppet need to do, specifically within the frame of five minutes, 30 minutes? How am I going to achieve those objectives? So you're kind of doing a little bit of method acting. You're doing a little bit of comedy. Is this a drama? Is it an inanimate object? Is it a rock? Is it a bird? Is it a human? How would they walk? Where are they in their life cycle? Are they old? Are they young? You're looking for any kind of clue into who this is. So you quickly make just a rough sketch of who that creature or animal is. And it'll have some kind of an accent or something like that because that just appeals to me. You seem to want to find the personality, almost the soul of the puppet. Every person who puts on a puppet is effectively looking for the soul of the puppet and they either find find it or they don't or they find like something that connects as closely to them as possible and really when different people put it on they'll look for it so like a character like Elmo on Sesame Street went through four or five puppeteers before it finally arrived on Kevin Clash's arm and he then did the voice of Elmo and then everyone was like that's Elmo it's just suddenly connected where everyone was like of course that is we just we never saw that before working in ensembles have you ever put a puppet on and go like nah this one isn't for me this one is for you and hand it to someone else yeah that sometimes has happened where especially in my current role I am listening to people's voices I'm thinking about their personality and constantly casting them taking their strength and thinking about what kind of person are you and what kind of character are you going to bring out? What are you going to contribute to this group? It's a great honor to be able to do that because you are playing people's strengths and utilizing those for the best possible purpose. Mm -hmm. You had a class puppetry for social change. I think you had a couple others. 
intro to puppetry for film. Are you seeing some kids that are getting into puppetry that maybe would be stage fright if it was they themselves up on the stage? That definitely does come out. You know, puppetry allows people of any group to step into somebody else's shoes. And I find that really fascinating about puppetry. It's putting on a mask to be able to vocalize and say things or you're taking on a different persona that isn't your own. And it may be that some of these traits or feelings you do have, but they are magnifying it to become a personality. It's really amazing because I would have these in college, these parties where effectively people come over, they would have a few drinks, I would have a bin of puppets and they would pull them out and they would put them on and it was fascinating to see these really somewhat timid people and then they would put a a sock monkey on their hand and then the things that would come out of that monkey's mouth was really comical and the great thing also is when people are talking with puppets they put their guard down because when you're talking directly with another person you're bringing and this is like scientific fact you're bringing all of your preconceived notions and consciously we don't have any of that experience with a puppet so all of our defense mechanisms are for when we're talking to them drop and when that happens people are themselves. It's really fascinating to watch, and I just I love seeing that. And so that absolutely is happening with these kids in the classroom, is that they're making choices and in those classrooms they are focused predominantly about how can I make the other people around me laugh? So they'll be making big, big, big choices, but they are finding ways to express themselves that they wouldn't otherwise have. So if people are less filtered by talking to puppets, Mm -hmm. is that where the concept of using puppets for social change comes from? Is that how you came up with the idea? Puppets have been used for social change for a really long time. Right now, we're seeing a lot of people exploring social activism online and And by having a puppet on their hand gives people permission to say things that they wouldn't otherwise feel comfortable saying. And then you can say, well, those aren't necessarily my opinions. I'm expressing them through this character. But you have had social activism through puppetry for a very, very long. Bread and Puppet Theater is an organization that I believe is based up in Vermont. They are responsible for enormous puppets that show up for social activist events. They're like effectively protest puppets. So they'll make a giant 300-foot tall Richard Nixon and that'll be on like a backpack and then somebody will be controlling the arms. It's almost like parade style, but that is seen as a form of puppetry and people put on these giant pageantry plays with puppets and it's very effective and Mm -hmm. they've been around for many, many decades. Now is as good a time as any with the introduction of YouTube and all of this social media. If kids or if anybody wants to effectively get across their opinions or their viewpoints and they don't want to receive as much backlash, puppetry is a tremendous tool to be able to tell your stories and to have people empathize with them. Do you also make your own puppets? I do, yeah. What enjoyment do you get out of making the puppets? I get a tremendous kick out of making it because as an artist, you're taking on like a third level of enjoyment out of it because not only are you sculpting, you're drawing the puppet, you're realizing it in the third dimension. And puppets are almost, especially for American audiences, they are animated cartoon characters that you are breathing into life by animating it and performing it instantaneously, which is very different from computer animation where you have to take a lot of time to animate Shrek's left ear and make sure that, you know, everything works together. For a performer who likes to draw and to create, 
fruit, you are effectively building something into life very quickly. As you're sculpting it, as you're using the foam and manipulating, you'll change it over time. You'll be like, well, that's not so great. And you'll cut here and there <laughs> and you'll, you'll make adjustments and things. As you're building it, you are defining and trying to find the personality of the character that's locked inside. Do you make all the puppets for yourself or have you made puppets for other people? I predominantly build them for myself. I feel like my biggest strength is finding the voice in other people's puppets. That has been my bread and butter. And on the side, if I find a puppet that I want to build or construct, I will do that out of necessity. But yeah, I haven't really branched into that very much because people just automatically assume that you perform puppets, you therefore must build them. Mm -hmm. And really, there is a group, a demographic of people that do exceptionally well at constructing puppets because it requires a very different set of skill sets than from the person who constructs it. And you can either be as simplistic as taking a sock and then putting eyeballs on top and <laughs> things like that to marionette or ventriloquist puppets, which require a tremendous amount of math. So I haven't quite got into that per se so much because the artist in me is like, I just want to create. I just want to make something. But I see this as like a strength that we live in a really great time where everything that you've ever wanted to know about puppetry is online. You just have to have the patience enough to effectively find what it is that you're looking for. The sooner that you can know that math is not your enemy, it's your friend, and that you're going to need it to be able to measure out these real things in real life that are important to you, the sooner it becomes just another tool in your wheelhouse. Looking at your background, you had a connection to Hershey Park. Looks like the CG work. Did you do puppetry at Hershey Park as well? Or Yeah, it's Hershey's Chocolate World, which is based right outside of Hershey Park. It's the visitor center, so right when you're like, oh my gosh, those roller coasters were amazing. Let's get all of our candy at Chocolate World. You know, you go in there, you ride the tour ride, you get the free candy. So there's a 4D interactive theater in there, and the equipment that's inside is the Henson digital performance system. They use that out in Hollywood. They use these motion capture tools that they've had since Waldo. If you've ever been to Disney World and gone on the Muppets attraction, there's this yeah. CGI character that comes out. That his name is Waldo, and he's yeah, and he looks the, at you and he he puffs 3D up and, and he shoots out his nose at you and he turns into 3D and he helps Bean Buddy escape until he doesn't want to escape anymore. That was the first time that they've used computers to perform a digital character in real time. And so since then, it has evolved into its oh. current form. So we're able to see the audience in real time, whether in the theater or out in the lobby. We'll bring the character out onto the screen and we have cameras set up so that we can... I'm spoiling the magic. I'm so sorry. You are talking to the character in real time and I'm moving my hands around and based upon where my hands are located, there are these what are called potentiometers, which are measuring where my hands are and depending upon that, it will lower the eyebrow a little bit. It's almost like playing a musical instrument, but my instrument is Reese and so like his hands will go up and I'm trying to press on foot pedals and make it as realistic as possible so that you think, oh my gosh, there's totally a guy there with all of these dots yeah. on his face. Like that's totally how they're doing it. It's not. It's more intuitive for a puppeteer. Where my hand is placed, the mouth making syllables and everything like that, depending upon how open I yeah. make my mouth. When I move my hand to the left, it puckers up Reese's lips. So oh. he makes an O shape. And then when I move to the right, it's making an E shape. So based upon that, and then my right pinky is making 
fricative sounds. So that's anything with an F or a V. My index finger is making plosives, which are M's and P's. So I'm pressing all of these things together to make shapes to create the illusion that I'm talking to you in real time. It takes about a month to learn, but once you have it, it's really fun. People can see videos of you as Reese yes. on uh, YouTube. I'll, yes. I'll link one of those in the show notes for this episode. Please. So, so you you playing basketball or one of the other ones like that. Yeah. Who's Kiss? Is that another puppeteer? Yes, that is Lisa. And she is the full-time Kiss performer. And we have, at the moment, we don't have a full-time Hershey bar. But in the videos, that is Nathan McDicken, who has kind of a softer Hershey bar voice. We like to channel. And that's been fun, is like helping to define who these characters are. And so in the beginning, we held like a brainstorming session with the original writers, with some Muppet performers from the Jim Henson Company. Oh, that's great. And we talked about who these characters are. And over that time, we then fleshed out the world effectively where they've been living. Where do candy characters come from? We were going to be bombarded by children asking us questions about, sometimes it's simple. It's like, what's your favorite color? Orange, of course. But then you have things more complicated of like, where do you live? Can I eat you? We developed this whole understood backstory about who these characters are because we wanted our answers to be consistent. We wanted these characters to be definitive. We wanted people to come and see more or less the same Reese, the same Hershey bar, and the same kiss. You guys made a character Bible in that way. We sure did. The writing. As a Hershey fan who's been going there his entire life, why is there no love for Mr. Goodbar? Can I apply to be Mr. Goodbar because he needs to make a comeback? Here's a demo reel. Right. Hi, it's me, Mr. Goodbar. I have peanuts. I don't need caramel. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on here for a second. I think that that would be tremendous. I think that what the Hershey company has and could potentially do with this technology is phenomenal in the idea that I can't remember the last time where you've had the official mascot of the company more or less be able to sit down and have a direct conversation with your clientele. And not only are you talking about enforcing brand loyalty, when people sit down and they are talking directly with the Reese's peanut butter cup, they go out there and they're like, That was awesome. I love this. They'll go out and immediately buy a Reese's plush. They'll get the merchandise and they'll come back and they'll be like, I want to talk to Reese. And then we can immediately pick up the conversation that we left off with. You know, if it's the same kid and I remember that kid. Oh, hey, you you bought one of my T-shirts. That's Thank right. You so much. That's an advantage of like the, the silent mascot. The silent mascot. This that's, is something so that that's, that's this kind is of a level future. of personalization. And, you know, if they text Reese, because Reese has a cell phone, we have in our database the last time that they texted Reese. So we can effectively be like, oh, oh hey, the last time you were here it was your birthday and they look shocked they're just like oh my gosh how do they know that that's magic it is magic it is magic and if i had my way about it <laughs> i would make sure that we did have a digital mascot of each of those characters because with a digital character you don't have to have the same maintenance necessarily as you would for a mascot character mm-hmm. you're not worried about rips and tears per se you just have to make sure that the technology is up to date that all the buttons and things on the the machine are yeah. Yeah. Working effectively. And no one can shove one of your CG characters. That's right. If a kid is being obnoxious to you, you press a, a switch and you're gone. You're yeah. off the television <clears throat> screen. So you guys have done all your research on Reese. Yeah. Here's my question. Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between Hershey bar 
Kiss, and Reese. Yes. In the fact that underneath your packaging are two separate and distinct pieces of correct. chocolate. Is that discussed? Yes, it is discussed. It <laughs> yes. is. It is discussed. This is what I talk about. This is going to sound crazy, but I'm thinking about how old are these characters? Is it okay for a candy character to effectively eat the brand that they represent? To which the answer is yes, because there is a strong difference between talking chocolate and eating chocolate. If you open up a candy bar and yeah. there's a face on it, you shouldn't eat it. Yeah. Or, you know, they all wear those white puffy gloves. And somebody asked us at one point, why are the characters wearing Cinderella gloves or princess gloves? And yeah. it was like, well, that's because we want to know where, you know, one food ends and the other food begins. You know, yeah. and so things like that. So also on the list, you either had some sort of involvement or did some stuff with Walt Disney? Yes, I did. What yeah, did you do? Five at years. Walt, what are the five, five years of Walt Disney like? They were amazing. And they... They were puppetry-based, which was really fun, and uh, that was from 2008 to 2013. And I got that job because during college, my part-time gig was doing puppetry for Angela Beasley's Puppet People. When I arrived in the, the scene of Savannah, Georgia, I asked Chris Susie, a local thespian, I was like, hey, is there anywhere around here to do puppets? And he said, the person to talk to is Angela Beasley. So I did puppets from 2006 to 2010. And while I was there, there was the Southeast Regional Puppetry Festival. There are festivals where people come together and they share their love of puppetry. They're very open about different techniques for building. Oh, awesome. Or they're like, oh, would you like to see how this puppet works? And then they pull off the, you know, the flesh and then they show you the underworkings of it. They're oh, very that's great. Puppeteers are very happy to share what they've learned. And I think that's really this open source sharing platform mm -hmm. is just really phenomenal. They're just some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. So at the Southeast Regional Puppetry Festival, Walt Disney show up and they held a more or less a, an open audition and they played Under the Sea and they said, put on a puppet and keep it animated for three minutes. And so I did that. And about a month later, I got a phone call from the Walt Disney Company saying, would you like to come work for Walt Disney World? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I've wanted to do this my entire life. So I went there and I got trained on Disney Junior, on Voyage of the Little Mermaid, Festival of Lion King, Parade Show Puppets. And when I wasn't doing that, I was helping out other characters as well. And that was just, it was just really incredible because like Disney is at the top of their game. They believe in character integrity so wholeheartedly. It's a part of their mantra and their doctrine. And if you believe this much, if you take this much care to build up a character and make people believe that you are this entity, then they'll believe it too and they'll play along with you. And that level of make-believe as an actor is tremendously fun. And it was just very enjoyable to spend that amount of time. The people there are great. You're making magic every day. The only downside is that when you get injured or when you're you know, when there are people ahead of you, more or less, there are many, 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 many dreamers oh. who are ready to fill your spot. So you are very expendable. You are expendable. And that is eventually why I why I left. But at the same time that I was doing Disney, I was yeah. also in Universal Studios as conductor of the Hogwarts Express. So that was 2010. The audition went out in 2009. I saw that they were looking for people that were going to be doing British accents. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is Hogwarts. They're making Hogwarts land. I got to go. When I was 11, I was handed the Harry Potter books. And, I mean, Harry grew up around the same time that I did, which was really 
helpful growing up. Mm-hmm. I really loved those books. And so to be able to give back anything to J.K. Rowling was tremendous. While I was finishing up my senior year in college, I was driving down to Florida to attend wizarding school where we were being trained on the world and we were trained on like what we know as this character, what we don't know. And that was just phenomenally fun because the world could have been anything and they chose to make it completely immersive. They made it so that when you go in there, you don't see any of the other parts of the theme park. You are just lost. Oh, you're right. Yeah. In the wizarding world of Harry Potter and there's no Coca-Cola products. You get to fully immerse yourself in J.K. Rowling's world. And to take on that responsibility to be a part of the opening crew was a tremendous honor. And it was also just tremendous fun because you got to, like, as the conductor, you're the first ambassador of the Wizarding World that they get to see. And you get to watch as these people come around the corner. They see... Hogwarts Castle for the first time and they drop to their knees crying (laughs) because they've waited their entire lives to have this moment and you're the first person that they get to hug to take a photo with or guide them towards butterbeer towards (laughs) towards whatever they need Hogsmeade's are that way yes which school would you have wanted to be a part of had you done any of that which house which house yeah sorry oh I mean conductor probably is definitely a Hufflepuff I mean he's just such a (laughs) Such a friendly guy. You just build this love relationship with the train because you're so proud of it. You're so proud of the Hogwarts Express. I had to leave to go do the digital puppetry in Hershey, Pennsylvania before I got to see the expansion world of Diagon Alley open. So going there as a um, as a, as a civilian mm-hmm. and to see the train moving was oh. such an emotional moment because it's stationary in Hogsmeade and to see it move and have a purpose and to see everybody love it and to see it functioning and it's almost like an ex-girlfriend that you see and they're doing tremendously well and it ended pretty well and you weren't quite ready to end the relationship with them but you're like you're so happy so happy (laughs) that your life is going well oh man so that's just full circle and they have puppets down there now it's like house elves or they have a performing based group that will come out and they'll do tales from beetle the the bard beetle bard yeah beetle bard and they did the three brothers which is plays into the deathly hallows man and they did i think it's called the magic fountain tremendously fun and seeing those shows are great that's just such a smart way to repurpose world building yeah I think that's why I get into the things that I do. I like the challenge of thinking, what is this world that we're inhabiting? Who are the people that inhabit it? What are the rules of this? For an actor, it's a game. It's a game that goes beyond just like, who am I? What is this world that I'm inhabiting? And the wizarding world is such, there's so many fun rules and there's so many different classes and she's just defined it so well. And what's, I think, so great about the wizarding world in particular is there's a place for everybody there. There's a house. You fit into a house. (laughs) And even if you are a Slytherin, if you're a Death Eater, there's a place for you in that world. To transition from world building to the real world, you did a video for, I think, Travel Savannah? Was that a contest? (laughs) Yes, it was. It was a contest. What had happened, I'm very grateful that this happened, is Travel Savannah had, I believe, hired an outside agency to effectively make a promo video to support the initiative to come to Savannah. 
they had paid for a project that involved a statue of James Oglethorpe made out of copper, and a woman is fanning herself, and she looks again at the statue, and it has come to life, and it's a man covered in copper paint. It looks not great. It looks like he's covered in poop, and he turns to the camera, and he winks, and then proceeds a conga line throughout the city of Savannah. Bum, 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 and people are just, like, picking up, and they're like, oh my gosh, let's join this thing. It did not go well. People, (laughs) it got so many dislikes on YouTube that the city of Savannah said, hey, don't like this video? Make your own. We're going to have a contest where you get to make your own video, and the winner will get to effectively be our new promo video. And it had been fun because I had been one of the original online video critiquers of the (laughs) Of the poop man. Of the poop man conga conga line. line. And I had used Uncle Teddy to do it. And so that had shown up on the local news of Savannah. So it was just (laughs) very weird and existential. But I gathered together a team of really talented filmmakers and music specialists. R.J. Temple, I sent him some lyrics. He's a musical composer in the Savannah, Georgia area that now works for Nickelodeon. He's very talented guy. So I had some basic lyrics that I was like, if you can incorporate this into a song, I'll be very happy. And he took that and he knocked it out of the park and made something incredibly catchy. He found all the hooks and everything. (laughs) And it's a song that just gets right into your noggin. And then John C. Arnold is a filmmaker, director, and he worked with me. He's been a big advocate for Uncle Teddy. And so this just fit into his wheelhouse. And then we also had Noel help us out as well. And he is just like a puppet enthusiast Mm. that has been a supporter of mine over the years, which has been phenomenal. We worked together and we put this thing and asked the community and we ended up getting third place, which was crazy. (laughs) Savannah's the place to be, or Uncle Teddy Savannah, if you want to look it up for yourself. I feel like I got to ask about this because Mm -hmm. you have a lot of puppets. You got a lot of background here and there. It seems like your most personal puppet or one of your main like tentpole puppets, I don't know how you refer to it, is Uncle Teddy. Uncle Teddy. Which is... He's a seal. Okay, cool. At first, (laughs) when you first see him, you can only see like the top part. I'm like... Right. Well, is that a diglet? <laughs> well, now he looks like a porg. So how did you come up with Uncle Teddy? So this is a seal. He's a harbor seal, and he's originally a store-bought puppet. So I pulled him off the shelf. You know, I'm doing the thing that I'm normally doing. When I find a new puppet in a store, I'm like, ooh, puppet. And I put it on, and as I'm performing with him in the store, my sister comes up and punches him in the face. And so when she did that, he inverted his nose. And so then he sort of had like this muffled voice because he had, you know, he had his, his nose had been punched in. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is a character. This is a character. So all of a sudden, over time, yeah, he just has this Brooklyn kind of trill. So anyway, yeah, so I'm Uncle Teddy and I'm a seal. I feel like oh. James Lipton right now where it's like, oh. can we can we. Can we speak to Uncle Teddy for a bit? Yeah, I'm right here. You, yeah. I notice you have a little clear thing on your left flipper. Is that for like oh, maybe, God. maybe a stick to move uh, the hand? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, apparently so. Um, you might consider it a handicap, but uh, no, I, I consider it uh, pretty effective for doing so. It's over here. It's for that guy. It's for that, it's for that guy. There being no nose right. is such an interesting look for the puppet. Oh, it's just a mouth with eyeballs. I don't know where to look. Mm-hmm. He's What I really love about him as a character is he's you automatically 
think of him as this old man voice comes out. <laughs> and then he's also just like has these flabby layers. Just just <laughs> go ahead. Just massacre me. Yeah, no, it's great because I have all of this fat and I have this cute face everybody loves. He's endearing. I'm endearing. <laughs> I'm freaking amazing. I saw you had an assortment of actually really popular YouTube videos talking to <laughs> Disney. Very popular. Talking to Disney princesses. Yes. Was that when you were still? Well, it had to have been. Were you still it's working? When in I the was park? still working in the park, and yeah, they have endured in such a really remarkable way. So that started off. We would have these breaks in between the shows, and so I would bring in Ted to just, you know, play around in the break room. And then my coworkers were like, do you want to take Ted to have a meet and greet with, like, Winnie the Pooh? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see what happens. It's great because, like, whenever I'm doing a meet and greet with a character, I play it straight. You know, Ted is right there playing make-believe with them, but the face characters are the best because, like, a, a mascot can't talk back to you, but they can, like, you fill in the blanks, which is great. Yeah, the most popular one is him talking with Mickey and Minnie. I think that's been viewed close to, like, 50,000 times. Yeah. The, th- the thought that 50,000 pairs of eyeballs have possibly <laughs> seen this the seal and liked it is ridiculous. And it's great because it's gotten to the point when if I do do this, then they're like, oh, I've seen you. Oh, hi, Ted. The seal precedes you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty good. And I think a tremendous tool for challenging the performer to see how well they know their character. How well are they believing that they are Ariel? How well they are, Belle. Because Ted is asking pretty basic questions. For Belle, he's asked her, what book are you reading? Because she likes books. So, like, it's like, you got to know this stuff, guys. You got to think about what's your character up to right now. Yeah. Because then you can, like, start to play on the absurdity of the worlds that they live in. Yeah. For example, the fact that Belle's father was arrested and about to be sent to an insane <laughs> asylum for being just quirky and eccentric. You yeah. know, things like that is great to talk about. What other adventures with <laughs> Teddy? What other? So he's he's been around yeah. Disney World. He's got to be press. He's got to go to the Great American Pie Festival. He got to attend the Savannah Brewing Fest in Savannah, Georgia. And he's gotten to interview royal chefs. He got to interview <laughs> Darren McGrady, who, like, made food for Princess Diana. Oh, that's I mean, awesome. Th- this puppet, this character has opened up doors that <laughs> I would never have gone into. He gets to comfortably sit on a princess's lap. And nobody bats an eye or the girl will like hug it. And it's like, if I tried to do that, that would be creepy and weird. But for some reason, because it's an adorable little puppet, I'm not trying to justify weird behavior. By all means, if you are trying to use puppets to do that sort of thing, that's just gross. But I'm saying that puppets allow open doors and allow open communication. Politicians say things to him in in ways that uh, other people don't. (laughs) The SEALs done some hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, he could. He really could. And that's, I think, it's interesting to know that. But the magic of Ted is that he works 
when somebody else has the camera. So yeah. I haven't been able to really do as much with him in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which doesn't quite have the same magic of casts that you can possibly interview yeah. as Orlando, Florida. There's just way more interesting people in Orlando, Florida <laughs> to, to have a, a TED conversation with. He needs to give a TED talk. He does. He needs to have a Teddy talk. That is, uh, that's absolutely what he needs to do. Puppets in the 21st century. <laughs> Every time I think I'm done with this guy, people are like, no, no, no. We need more Ted. We want more. So there's a Patreon now if you want to see more Ted. Oh, my goodness. Um, this might be the first Patreon on the show, but definitely the first <laughs> puppet Patreon. I mean, we're still looking for our first Patreon. So if you want to support a great oh, there puppet, be the there first go. person. Just trying to track it in my head. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's great. You saw Ventriloquist. Yeah. Your church gave you the opportunity to do puppet work. Yeah. You end up in Savannah. Yeah. That gets you to Disney World. Mm-hmm. Now you're at Hershey. It's tremendously fun. I think that's a lot of like what I look for in a job. Disney is something that I wanted to do since I was a kid. Working in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter meant something to me as, as a kid. Yeah. And being the voice of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is something that I wanted to do as a kid. All of these things have been lifelong dreams of mine. And to get to realize them in adult form by having that level of appreciation for your job means that when you come into work and you're bombarded by just life, you can always take a step back and be like, I have a pretty fantastic job. I'm being asked to make believe for a living. I'm being asked to do something that I love. And not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody gets that opportunity to do something that they're passionate about. So to find meaning in what I do on a daily basis and to not only do that, but to have meaningful interactions with people and have people go away and be like, I just talked with a seal for the day. I just had a meaningful conversation with a peanut butter cup. And that fills me up. That fills up my cup. And everybody should be finding ways to fill up the cup in their life. That's awesome. So I guess dark existential question then. Yep. Are there any other things that you're still aiming for? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. cool. Marvel or like what are, what are the Marvel would be great. I, I mean, uh, I want to work for – in some capacity, the Jim Henson Company. I mean, I have. Oh, how did to... I miss that? Yeah, you're like puppet hero. Yeah, you that's Jim my directly. that's my hero. Opportunities through them are very rare, but I mean, I already have collaborated with them working through Hershey, and so knowing that, knowing what the struggles are in this industry, it makes me all the more hopeful and yeah. all the more realizing that I would like to pursue that dream in some capacity. But like those opportunities are very rare. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are very deserving of the opportunity to get to work for that industry or Sesame Street. People lop those two things together, but they're really separate companies. I'd love the opportunity to do anything meaningful for either of them. I think that what I'd really like to do right now is take what I've learned in digital puppetry, which is a very nuanced field. It's so crazy. I just got an email from SCAD my alma mater, and they are going to have me talk to their seniors about what I do in Hershey because I'm now seen as an industry leader in my field by being a digital puppeteer, which I think is crazy. When they sent it, I was like, when am I seen as an expert in? What are you talking about? Because I wanted to make sure I was on the same page as them. You're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what have I done? What have I done that has warranted being an expert? It's very exciting. It's there very exciting. cutting edge. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so <laughs> thank you so much for telling me all about this stuff. Like yeah. I knew puppets were gonna be a fun conversation. Yeah. So I wrap up every interview with the exact same question. Okay. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to? Oh gosh. 
I what has me uh, in life? It, it could be as this is like a Rorschach test. Puppets always gets me excited. To be able to stick my hand in a puppet is just like kid in a candy store. That makes me excited. Right now, I have some really big projects. Ted's working on a series of YouTube videos that hopefully will be up and running by the summer. That'd be great. When I'm not doing that, I'm working with the Center for Puppetry Arts right now on an experimental puppetry film about the Custer Wolf right now. So that's a more adult puppet film, and that's going to be about four or five minutes. Hopefully, that'll be online Uh, around like May or June, getting to collaborate with people, anybody really on creative collaborations, that always gets me incredibly excited. And I'm just just really happy to get to be on this podcast and to get to share my passion with anybody. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for the platform. Appreciate it. Another, uh. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Wap.